Welcome to the Endurance Cartel Podcast. I am your host, Javier Pineda, endurance athlete and exercise physiologist. And each week, we bring you accredited human performance specialists or inspiring athletes to help you optimize your true human potential. Now let's get down to business. Welcome to the Endurance Cartel Podcast. This is episode number 15. I am your host, Javier Pineda, human movement specialist and endurance athlete. The primary purpose of this podcast is to enhance your quality of life through information and personal experiences from athletes, trainers, and doctors while ripping the rewards and benefits of endurance sports. I urge you to keep an open mind. We are looking for progress and not perfection. Today's topic is how important is VO2 max? Is it the best indicator for performance? Well, throughout this time, VO2 max has generally been regarded as the best indicator for cardiorespiratory fitness. It reveals how much oxygen your body can consume during a maximum effort. The higher your VO2 max, the more oxygen your body can use. Therefore, your aerobic fitness is better. But is it still the standard? This is the big question for this week. Exercise physiologist Dr. Connie Sol joins me this week on discussing this topic in further detail. Hope you enjoy this episode. And welcome to another episode of the Endurance Cartel podcast. And we have one of my favorite all-time topics with one of my favorite all-time persons, Connie Sol, Dr. Connie Sol. And mind you, she not only helped train me on my last uh, few races that I did in, um, in triathlon, but she's one of the brightest and I mean, it's, there's, I just, the most intelligent people I've ever met. I mean, it's just like, I, I'm short of words when it comes to that because, um, she was the one that introduced me to how to test VO2 max, how to test for metabolic efficiency, how to test for a lot of things. And she is literally the brains and the, the best I know in this field. And today's topic is VO2 max. First, is it still valid? Are still are people still going by that number? Are people still wanting to test and see where their numbers are at? And what does the n- number say? I mean, is it if you have a high VO2 max, what does that say? I mean, in, so all these things, all these questions, Connie is gonna be answering for us and. Is it still useful in the terms of what sport is it going to be more useful for? And what sport is more inclined to using a VO2 max? So anyhow, Connie, welcome to the Endurance Cartel podcast. And we finally are doing our long-awaited episode. Thank you for being here. Hi, Javier. Thank you very much for having me. And it's one of, of course, one of my favorite topics. Because it's like uh, it can VO2 can tell you so many things, but in today we're going to focus on uh, VO2 as a performance measure, VO2 max as a performance measure in athletics. Right, and so many many people call me, and I'm sure you're you you are getting called by like you're like so on. Um, People want to be tested by you so much 
And um, I think they just, they can't reach you, so they reach me. So it's basically that they want to just uh, start getting the VO2 max and they're not even um, like a professional athlete. Do you have to be a professional athlete? I don't, and I'll give them, I'll give them a test, but I will never take them to that dark place, you know, because in a VO2 max, to get a true VO2 max, you have to go to that dark place. You have to take your nervous system to that dark place. And a lot of these athletes that are wanting to get VO2 max, they're, they, their nervous system is not at par. I mean, meaning they, their training age, how long they have been training for is not as, uh, not like that of, of a professional athlete that can go to that house of pain. So I wonder what your thoughts are on a lot of people that wanting to get the VO2 max without first going through a process of having a proper training age, doing sports performance type of um, a, a sports. Right. Well, my, my, first, my, my first response to someone that calls me and says, um, VO2 max, can I get my VO2 max? Is, well, find out why, why would you want to get it done? And if it's because they want to set a baseline, I usually, I try to discourage it because you're right. To get a true VO2 max, you have to really push yourself. But this is a, this is, it's like the psychology of athletes that I don't, I don't believe I have ever met an athlete that is happy with their VO2 max. So it doesn't matter what sort of a hell they're going to go to. They're always going to come off the treadmill and tell me I can do better. <laughs> and, and you may, you may do better you know, the next day. You may do better, you know, you didn't drink enough water, whatever the reason. But, you know, the differentials are only maybe not even 5%, which is, which is really negligible because it all has to do how you were that specific day. And all things equal, you could test tomorrow or the next day and come out 5% lower. And then you really want to cry because then you're going to ask me for a third test, you know? So I don't, I don't, I don't like to really do VO2 max, especially at this point. And this is something that you and I have spoken about is how, how useful is a VO2 max? And that has been a, a discussion in exercise physiology or in, in performance in the high performance or performance um, aspects of exercise physiology because there's the tables. And so athletes that get started, they look at the tables and they go, oh my God, if I was a cross-country skier, my GO2 would be like 90 or, you know, or or they look at Endurane or they look at all these non, I don't know if Endurane had drugs or not, but the point is that they look at these fantastic scores and they think that that's where they should be. And so we have, we have a bell curve and, you know, the bell curve means that most of us are going to fall within 80% and then you're going to have the five and the 5%. But what does that really tell you? It, to me, as a, as a high performance coach, doesn't really tell me very much because what really would tell me how well you would do would be your lactate threshold. Um, if you reach your lactate threshold really quickly, I know you're not going to be fast right now. I know that you really truly need to develop your endurance because as we all know, endurance really is how close can you perform or how long can you perform within your anaerobic threshold in a, in a race competition. And so if you want to be truly competitive, you build yourself around the anaerobic threshold and the VO2 max is 
nothing that you can really use in training. I don't believe that any good coach I've ever met has used a VO2 max. I mean, have you used a VO2 max? To no, right? Because you're like, okay, good. You know, pat them on the back and, you know, let's see where your lactate is. Because actually a simple lactate test will give you much better results. And it's also cheaper, but a simple lactate test will tell you how to better train with your heart rate. So there we go. So it's, and so we look at VO2 max now and being because I, I do I do cart testing and I, I do the system check, the VO2 equipment, uh, I believe that the applicability of VO2 max is left to science more than it is performance. You have, if you really want to have your VO2 max all the time, you have the Garmin, I think it's a 920 XT or 900 series. They have been tested against the the polar, the, 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 the same, the polar at the same level in a metabolic heart. And the differential was less than 5%. So nowadays you can have on your wrist a pretty good VO2 max, and you're going to see that it changes every day. And so athletes that focus on it in their training and allow it to affect their psychological training are going to suffer. So if I can give advice is shut it off. <laughs> shut off the damn thing because it's not good for anything except to, because you're always going, if you're a competitive athlete, you're always going to want to be doing better. So you're like, oh my gosh, this is not true. And it's going to eat at you. So you look at your performance times, you work with a coach and who knows what they're doing and you work your, with your specific performance and not look at VO2 maxes, look at where your lactate is. I mean, do a lactate every three months, then you'll know, you know, it's like, where's your lactate threshold, you know, 90 days ago to now, if there's an improvement, you're doing a good thing. And in the same time, your VO2 max might go down because the training is not going to be conducive to a higher VO2 max, which at the end of the day, who cares? Exactly. That's, that's my opinion. Exactly. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's something I did on my Garmin. I shut it off because there were some easy days and all of a sudden it gave me, um, oh, your VO2 max just dropped uh, by two points. I'm like, I'm like, I don't need to, I don't need to see this right now. <laughs> um, but let me ask you, who, who needs it? Do, do endurance athletes need it? Uh, do basketball players need it? Do boxers need it? Who is a, what, what is the population that really needs this VO2 max in terms of, okay, let's work, let's work with this. But you just said it, that science, it's more for science purposes than it is for an individual, correct? I tested uh, boxers and really what was important, even though we did a VO2 max, I did a lactate next to it. And so the, what we really, or what they, the coach really looked, wanted to look at is the VO2 max was for the athlete. Because they're like, oh, I want my VO2 max. But the coach really was like, let me see what the lactate is saying. Okay, mm. because that's going to say, is that boxer going to last in the ring or not? Because if their lactate threshold is really low and they're out there moving, you know, it's they're, they're, mm -hmm. their legs are going to quit moving as the lactate accumulates. So for as, as, as sports stand at, at this time, I believe that the utility of VO2 max as a performance measure 
has really uh, has really passed. It's not something unless you want to do it in a metabolic cart, go to a lab or or go to you, for example, and do it in a in a in a session and set a baseline, and then in six months do it again to see if it's actually improved. I mean, I mean, the definition of VO two max is ability of the working muscles to de- of, of the, the, the the ability to deliver oxygen to the working muscles. So in order to make changes in your VO2 max, it means that you have to increase the your muscle capacity, your muscle size, because that'll increase your capillary density. And, and that's going to create, you know, more avenues for oxygen to deliver. So therefore you're going to be able to perform better. Mm-hmm. So you can do that, but it doesn't really serve a purpose. But you can do is, is in the process of doing a VO2 max, you can look for your lactate threshold. So in that sense, as a vehicle to looking at where your J-curve is, then yes, I would make that useful because you would see how close to, you know, it's like, it, it does not that it matters how close your lactate threshold is to your VO2 max, but it is if you're in the, but it would take a maximal effort to find out your true lactate threshold. So as a vehicle to providing you your performance, your lactate performance, yes, that's where I'd say VO2 max has a place. But yeah. to, to look at it at your watch all the time, I think, like you said, it's like, oh my God, two points. Who cares? It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not useful. Right. Right. Because I mean, there's so many factors, again, that go into it. And you just said it. Uh, you could be having a bad day. You could have a day that you're completely dehydrated or you just had a bad uh bad sleep. So there's so many little factors that are biased and then can influence the the specific test, which in turn lactate threshold is not, is not, I don't think it's going to be affected by all, any of that because it, it's going to be affected very minimal, correct? In in terms of... I mean, mm-hmm. if, it, if it's a respiratory, it's a ventilatory threshold, the, um, it's not going to really matter your... Um, the viscosity of the blood is not going to really matter. If you're dehydrated, then a lactate test would be a little bit of effect. But you, you know, if you're going to be doing a test like this, you really should should come in prepared to mm-hmm. do this test. You should be, you know, fasting a little bit so your so your gastric, so your stomach is is empty and and your your blood is not diverted away or you know so so that you you go in there and it's like. Hey, this is going to be my one time in six months. Let me come in clean, hydrated, and let's do it. Because if yes, you're correct. If you're dehydrated, if you're tired, if you're mentally not there, if your job got to you that day, your relationship, your you know life got in the way that day, you're going to be, you know, your performance is going to be affected. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, it takes us back down. It's like, so what then? You know, you'll never be happy because you'll get off the treadmill and you'll be like, oh, I had a bad day today. So, you know. And let me ask you. For a second. Um, and, <laughs> and right. Um, let me ask you also. Nowadays, like the, for instance, the, the machine I have, which is very much dynamic, you can wear it on, it's like a, uh, a backpack and you can run on the track without being on the treadmill. But. What is the difference between those two machines if if that's uh, somebody going into a lab versus somebody doing this outside? Um, is there a specific difference in this in this type of uh, testing? You know, it, it is an excellent question. I believe that 
it is that portable VO2 systems are underutilized by coaches because mm. a lab is a lab is for, you know, there's no friction, there's no wind, there's no heat. And uh, because if I'm testing, I'm going to tell you, I am not going to be sweating. So, mm. you know, if, even though if you remember, I used to test outside because I'm like, yes. you're sweating. We are testing. I did all my tests outside because I, I needed to see how you were going to react to being sweaty and hot and, and everything affecting you psychologically, how soon you were going to quit. So if, if you stuck to it, that was also a test. And, you know, it's like your psychology max. <laughs> True that. Those, you know, exactly. And so I, I believe they're underutilized because let's say if I wanted to get a, a VO2 max on the, on the track, so I would, I would pick out the 3,000 meters which is about the same time as a VO2 max. It'll take anywhere between 12 and 15 minutes. And so you have the athlete wear it. And yeah, there's going to be a little bit of uncomfortable, but, but the point is you're going to be able to see a true performance under pressure outside with friction on the track of your athlete. So whatever you get at the end of those, that last 400 of those all out 200 in, in the 3,000 meters you're going to get some really usable values. And you're also, you can tier, tier it to, to um, if you do the protocol right, you can get a nice, clear lactate threshold. You're going to see how long they can stay with it. Are they going to drop off? You can see a lot of, a lot of real-time data that you can say, all right, now I can see what's happening at the end of race. Except if you have an athlete that says, you know, I just felt like I wanted to give more, but I couldn't. Well, you can look at the data in a 3,000 meter and say, wow, look, at about 2,000, and see he's pushing, and then he can't hold it. Or mm. his heart rate is going super high. Or, you know, he can't sustain that heart rate, or, you know, things like that. There's a lot of information that a portable unit can provide you in field testing that that's completely underutilized. What are your thoughts? I know you probably agree with that. Totally. Yes, absolutely. And not only uh, going back to what how I was tested under your eye, on outside where there is no wind that you have just but one fan going at me on a treadmill and the humidity is at an all-time high i'm like how in the hell am i gonna perform but it is true though i mean i i i was baffled the first time i was ever tested outside by you but then i caught on i'm like you know what she was she's always been onto something and it makes total sense. You have to be testing in an environment that you're going to be racing or you're going to be competing in, in whatever it is. And the portable units, what I've the what I have noticed is, of course, it's much more comfortable in terms of a suitability and everything of just putting it on and just clipping some some stuff in, but also creating your own protocols in terms of what the sport or the athlete is competing for. So for instance, I've tested tennis players, I've tested um, basketball players, but then again, it's, and, and football players, but then again, the energy systems, energy system requirements are completely different. And so that's how I do my protocols in terms of what are they going to be doing in terms of sport. But this is, then I get, I, I go back to, okay, is it going to be useful? I mean, it, it always goes back to what you said. It all goes to lactic threshold. 
what's the lactate threshold? How long is it going to be until this person starts wearing down? I mean, in the, in just, it's not com- efficient or effective anymore, right? That's correct. What is that? What is the heart rate behaving? How is it behaving at a, in, you know, because you can test your protocols. It's like some athletes are good starting strong and then tapering and some are better if they start and, and they build up to it. And then the second half, they, you know, it's, they, they go negative. Mm. So these are the things that you can see it through performance, but you can also add to it by doing a field test if you have yeah. access, you know, and there's not that many equipment that there's not that much equipment portable that's available. But that's, that's where I see the usage of VO2 with VO2 as a vehicle to getting your anaerobic and your ventilatory thresholds. Definitely. And outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For good. Yeah. Oh my you know, God. Yes. That is the way to do it. Nothing. No AC. No nothing. Just no nothing. some fan, some type of air going at you. But right. Brian, Brian McKenzie, I had him not so, not so long ago and he tested out a lot of, um, MMA fighters, and um, he's into doing a lot of tests on nose uh, breathing versus uh, mouth breathers. And his research is just fascinating on the, on the results he has uh, come up with. But have you ever tested somebody that just went through a breathing protocol? And it's like, okay, so I've been using a lot more uh, nose breathing, been mouth breathing more limited or I've been taping my mouth at night uh, for a few uh, minutes because sometimes just taping your mouth I, I tried it one time and I just I I, I got scared <laughs> because sometimes I for some reason I had to just open up my mouth but have you ever tested um in your clinic this uh, type no. of population not really I, I think that going it would have to be practiced to get a true measure only because the usually, I mean, you, you, you close the, I mean, you close now the mask will, will do it for you. It's like they pinch the nose, the nose. So mm-hmm. in, so if you're going to try to do it without mouth breathing, it would be hard because your nose is pinched. And mm-hmm. so when it's pinched because it needs to capture all the air that's coming out of your lungs, through your mouth. Mm. So I, I don't know how it would work in, in that sense to capture your ventilation. Um, well, I, I, I guess, I mean, he referred to it in terms of uh, practicing, them practicing and then going into tests to see how yeah. their breathing efficiency has, has helped them. I, I haven't tested. I haven't seen any, I mean, I haven't come up with any tests like a before and after or athletes that have had that. I mean, what's your experience? I have not, um, I have not tested that, that type of population. I've just, I had a former colleague of mine and he was, um, he was doing a lot of helping a lot of people with uh, breathing protocols and just using more their nose than their mouth. And it showed, I, I saw them in the respiratory exchange rate, how at the beginning they were very, the waves were very choppy in the respiratory because they were just doing a lot of mouth breathing. And then it, things started to change. Their waves were just longer. The pause was just, the breath was just so much more even and, and it, it was a nice flow to it. 
that's what I've noticed on the mostly in the respiratory exchange rate than the VO2 max because I don't or or sub VO2 max might I because I would never take them to that point of health. Most likely, you're going to see some ventilatory changes because there's going to be some changes in the lungs, maybe the upper upper lung part of the the lungs. So you may you may see that very well see some changes. It would be interesting to see the numbers like a before and after. True. To see, you know, like I I could probably do some searching to see. I'm sure maybe some studies have been done at the college level because this is something that would be great, like probably a grad student work. So I'll, I'll do some searches and see what I can come up with. It'd be interesting to see That'd that. That'd be great if, uh, if I could have, see some information like that. But also, how about COVID? Um, a lot of athletes complain and even uh, Formula One driver Lewis Hamilton says that he may, he thinks he may be he may have been affected by um, COVID on uh, on how his lungs are performing. Have you tested anybody before and after COVID? Of uh, I was, in terms I was of it, my system, my system. I had to send my system in for service, and uh, I oh, was man. going to send in. I was having. Uh, do you know Doctor Dave Wojnarowski? He's yes. like that. Yes. Yes. So he called me. He wanted me to test him and, and my system broke down. But there there's changes. Because if you go through COVID and your lungs do, because you do have scarring in your lungs, some more than others, some people don't get any. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's something that happens in, the, in your lung structure that changes. And hmm. that... That um, so yes, there is there's an effect in long COVID in athletic performance and at very you know varying degrees. Uh, sometimes that can lead to fatigue, which you know you can you can confuse it with overtraining. But then if your if your lung capacity decreases, because usually what'll happen is that there's a small decrease in your lung capacity or a larger decrease. I mean there's. There's changes. There's still accounting changes that happen to your lungs in long COVID. So I I missed a chance, but I but I at this point I would like to yes I would like to see how it how it would affect because I mean you know that there's you know we've talked about longevity. I mean what is what is VO two? So if somebody that I test let's say I you know I tested you what about four years ago three four years ago. Uh, yeah, more like, more like four to six years ago, something yeah, like, like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I tested you back then, and there's the in there's been a lot of changes in your life right. to right now. Yeah. So if I test you now, your VO two max is going to be way different, mm. way mm-hmm. different. So let's say you know, let's knock on on empty head for wood because I don't have wood, but you know, let's say that you acquired. Uh, COVID and your lungs were affected and then you tested again, it would be hard pressed to say which is an, an aging or deconditioning effect mm-hmm. and what's the COVID effect. You would have to, you know, that would be so, yes. So the longevity of VO2 would have a lot to do with the readings that you get now versus the ones that you would get some time ago. So it, in you know, speaking from from the science view, it's it's a salad. You know, so so we going back again to our original question: How good is a VO two max? Well, you know, it's it's only you know it's it's a picture of that day. 
True. That's how I would say. It is a picture of that day that's full of information below it that you really should use. That's that's about right. And if, let's say for endurance endurance athletes, they want to get their VO2 max not by going into a lab and not by getting uh, strapping themselves into a machine and doing it in the track, but rather in a race setting, for instance, a 5K, or let's say if you're doing a triathlon and you want to just do the sprints on the sprint side of triathlon, just do the 10 mile on the bike, would you go buy something like that as opposed to going and having the, the practical test? You know, people like their gadgets. I myself, you know, I like my gadgets, but I only look at my, my, my information. I look at my heart rate. I, I haven't done a VO2 max in a while because, I, you know, I'm not racing, so I don't really see the point. Mm-hmm. But I do look at, at my heart rate because my heart rate has changed with age. Mm-hmm. And, and I compare it, you know, if I'm going to do a thousand meters repeats versus, you know, I, I look at what my heart rate is at the time and my perception of effort, because that's another thing that, you know, is like your perception of effort. That's really important because your perception of effort might be like a nine and, you know, you're at 65% or 70% exactly. you know, the performance. Like, really, you know, have you really been training? Give us the truth. So, you know, so what I was saying is that that also goes part of, you know, if you're going to set a baseline VO2 max, you need to get perception of effort, you know, find, get your lactate, do it all, do it all. And then use that information for, for what it's meant to be rather than focus on a max that's so variable that the next day is going to be different. But your lactate threshold might not be that different because Mm -hmm. you're, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're more predictable on a day to day with your lactate threshold than your VO2 max. And let me ask you, in terms of comparisons of men and women, men have a higher VO2 max than women? It has to do with the amount of muscle mass. Mm. Per, you know, so they have more muscle mass than women. But I believe when you look at things relative, I think women are in parity in terms mm. of women's VO2 max and men's VO2 max. They can't race against each other, even though they're getting close in some sports, they're starting to close the distance. But if you look at it as the number, yes, usually a BO2 max will be higher with men than with women. Now, again, this is what I'm saying. How useful is that? Well, so you put them on a lab and you put them on the BO2 max and yeah, you know, that guy, you know, 46 year old guy, 46 year old woman, most likely is going to have a VO2 max if they're both been training the same, but then her lat lactate threshold might be more efficient. She might be able to last longer at the lactate threshold. And when you start looking at ultra-endurance athletes now, women are stronger than men. Women that is, are... That is a given, yes. They're starting... Women are winning... Like ultra, and we're talking over you know 50 miles and above. Women are winning the races, 100 miles. They're, they're out there. They can stay out there longer at a, at a harder pace. They can over time. So Lienta Cave, uh, Ironman World Champion, I had her on the, on, the, on the podcast and she was at the time training for the Ultraman. And uh, there was, yeah, so she did, she did it in Canada. She just recently, it was about a month ago. I think she got second or third or something, but there was a woman that won and uh, the two women and one guy. And 
it's um so yes a woman won and my god i mean she's um land i mean we're ironman world champion and everything i mean but it's the guy apparently just i mean he got third if i'm not mistaken i don't want to quote the, the, the exact results but yes absolutely right that women are bar none more durable than men and over time over time oh, exactly <laughs> Because right now, if you're looking at if you're looking at the hundred meters, you know women. I think did women have they broken ten seconds yet? I don't think they broken so. ten yet. They're still know. about they're still about a half a second or a quarter of a second behind men. And so when it comes to the short explosive distances, because men have the ability to have larger muscle mass than women, men will dominate in the shorter distances, hands down. But when it, then once you get to, you know, the marathon, the women are still about 15, 20 minutes behind, maybe. But nor maybe, maybe even less than that. But now once you start passing the two hours, you know, you look at the half Ironmans and the Ironman and they're starting to close in. And then you look at, you know, again, and then you look at ultra races and there you go, women. And here I'm looking at right now, so... The highest VO2 max is for from this guy who is, what's his name? It's uh, Jorna Dali or something. I don't know how to even say it, but it's a nine, it's freaking 96 and 77 for a woman. And they are both cross-country skiers. Right. What makes us, what makes cross-country skiing the, I mean, I know there's a lot going on, but what makes this such a such a sport for both men and women to have a high VO2 max? 96 and 77, that's absurd, by the way. But all your, the highest VO2 maxes have always come out of cross-country skiing. I mean, have, have you ever tried that? Racing? I have not, no, I have not had the pleasure. I wanted to, but no. It is, it is. It is a sport where every inch of your body is moving. So what is, again, what is VO2 max? Is ability to deliver oxygen to your working muscles. In, in cross-country skiing, you're using everything. You're using your four extremities. You're using your core. You're using everything to move forward at, at, at top. So you need to develop from your tiny toes to your nose has to be, has to be in top shape. So the ability of these athletes to deliver oxygen to their working muscles is incredible. And that's what the training does to them. But it's it's specific training for that because triathlon doesn't, you know, you're running, your arms are pumping, you're biking, your legs are pumping, you swim, yeah, you know, but it's but you're you're being held against gravity. Mm. In in cross-country skiing, you are moving with poles up a hill, with poles, you're, you know, racing against time, and you're at or above your, your lactate threshold. You know, your lactate threshold has to be high up there in order to be at the, in order to be able to race. And then what about biathlon? And then they drop and then they shoot. Yeah. That, that's crazy for me right there. And they have to shoot what, five, 10 times or I have something crazy and then keep on going. Right. And so these athletes are, are amazing and have without drugs to slow down their heart too. I believe, you know, yeah. I don't know if they're allowed to have any beta blockers, but, but these are tremendous athletes, tremendous athletes. Well, this is a wealth of information, Connie. I appreciate you very, very, very much. 
for having shared all this information. And where can we find you? I mean, can, can, um, in terms of social media, are you still there or no? Are you, or Facebook? Very little, very little social media. And I mean, I'm, I, they can find me through you. Okay. And All right. I'm on Facebook, Connie Soul. You can DM me. I'm, I mean, I'm on Instagram, but I'm not very big. I like to keep my achievements to myself. <laughs> <laughs> You've always been very private. That is very, very true. And yeah. No, I, again, I appreciate you so much for all this knowledge and all this information that you have shared with us. And, um, I'm, I'm going to, uh, invite you again so we can talk some more about how we can improve on, uh, on other areas that we test through putting a mask on in, uh, on the lab or out in the field. We need to get our business going and test athletes on the field. We'll be the only ones because we're the only ones with the equipment to do it. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> a, monopoly. a monopoly of winners. <laughs> that is so true. Thank you very much, Connie, for being with us. Okay. You take care. Thank you for having me, Javi. Have a great, great day. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I really love hearing feedback from you. I am always trying to improve myself so I can better serve you at the highest level. Share with us a brief review on what part of this episode resonated with you the most. You can always download the show notes and useful links. You can go to my website, endurancecartel.com or any media channel you use to listen to this podcast. Also, make sure to share this with your friends and subscribe to this podcast. Until then, train smart, guys.